And so most of you know that we have a vision for 10 communities in the next 10 years, and that's a really exciting vision. And so that was a pretty incredible start. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your giving. Thank you for helping to make that happen. All the decisions that were made for Christ on that first day and second day, you're a part of that. You get credit for that, Ross likes to say. And so congratulations, that's really awesome. Hey, uh, we're gonna continue on in Nehemiah today. And so uh, if you would, let's pray over the word and let's dive in. You ready? Okay. Heavenly Father, we love you so much and we are thankful for what you're doing in us and with us and through us. God, I think most of all, we're thankful that you have a plan and that we get to be a part of it. And so today, would you help us to become more a part of your plan and the things that you want to do, not just in our lives, but in the community and the people that surround us. Jesus, we love you. Would you speak through me today and would you hear through all of my friends in this room? We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever experienced the silent treatment? Have you ever had it? You know the silent treatment, right? That's right. It's, it's, where, it's where somebody decides that they're not going to talk to you anymore in some way to punish you. You've probably had this. It's very popular in elementary school um, and in some marriages, actually. But uh, <laughs> kind of disappears in high school and college, but it just comes back in marriage. I don't know how that works, but... But you've experienced this, right? You, you've had this happen to you. Someone wants to punish you, and so they're not going to talk to you anymore. And it's annoying. It's frustrating. It's difficult. And it's really hard to work through, right? Why, why is that? In fact, sometimes it's even, it's hurtful. Like, it, it, it hurts your heart. And why is that? I don't really understand the silent treatment, if I'm honest with you. I think when somebody's not willing to speak to you, you can't fix what's wrong. What can I do? How can I help? Okay. Thank you. Right, you can't get through it. You can't figure out how to talk with them. In most cases, I think I'd rather have somebody just get up in my face and just be honest with me. Well, I say that now until somebody's up in my face and then I might change my mind. But I think most of the time I would like to hear what somebody has to say rather than receiving the, the silent treatment from somebody else. I mean, the truth is for me, when I get the silent treatment, a lot of times I wonder if that person really cares about me, right? Because they, they're just shutting me out. All right, now let me ask you another question. Have you ever felt like you were getting the silent treatment from God? Right, this is a different deal, right? Okay, so it's one thing if it's your spouse or if it's your child or if it's in elementary school, but, but have you ever felt like you're getting the silent treatment from God? Like he's not there. Maybe you prayed for something for a really long time and you never heard an answer and you felt like you were ignored. I don't know, maybe you, uh, maybe you found yourself in a really difficult situation for a really, really long time and you felt like, where is God in all of this? Maybe somebody that you love was hurt or was sick. And so you prayed and prayed and, and you never saw an answer. And you just wonder, why, why would God allow that to happen? Maybe it seemed like God was paying attention to everybody else but you. I know I felt like that from time to time. I think whether we realize it or not, everybody believes that if we talk to God about some problem or a doubt or a fear, that God should respond to us almost immediately. Nobody think it or not, that's really what goes on in the back of your mind and for some of us in the front of our minds. But if God's real and if God cares, then he should do something. He should always come through for me, right? Well, you're not alone in wondering about that. And today in the book of Nehemiah, I hope that we'll find at least some of the answers as to how to deal with this scenario when we feel this way. Today, we're continuing the series in Nehemiah. We're calling it Renew, Rebuild, and Restore. And we're learning how God works in our lives, working to renew our hearts and rebuild our lives and restore this, our souls that have been broken and 
torn down, and then how he wants to work with us and through us in order to renew and rebuild and restore the people that are in our lives, that surround us in our city, in our families, in our community. So our key verse for this series, where we're going to be camping out, where we have been camping out for the past couple weeks, is it's in, uh, it's in Philippians uh, 1.6, and it says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, this is awesome because this is God's promise for us, right? For you and me, that God is working in our lives and what he has started, he's going to finish. You've got to believe that. So remember as we go through this, that the story of the book of Nehemiah, it's a historical account of how God used one man, Nehemiah, to bring hope and restoration to a disillusioned people by helping them rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that had been destroyed decades earlier. So it's in this process, as they're rebuilding the wall, that we see a very close picture of how God restores you and me, how he restores our lives. And when you read through Nehemiah, there's lots of incredible leadership stuff, and there's great stuff for Christian living and principles, but Nehemiah is also a handbook on the pathway of personal restoration. That's what we're going to find out today. Even when you look at the meaning of the name Nehemiah, we start to realize that God is up to something, right? Now, I really like names. I like the meanings of names. I'm very interested. So for our kids, we kind of took our time. My oldest is uh, Aurora Kate. Aurora Kate. My second is Ewan Michael. Not you and Michael, but Ewan Michael. Um, And then my third, uh, our third child is Reese Angelina. And so Aurora Kate, that means pure light. You uh, and Michael, it, it, there's some variations here, but it, it means true wo- or young warrior who is like God. And then uh, our youngest, Reese Angelina, that means uh, angelic messenger, right? Enthusiastic messenger is what it is, yeah. Enthusiastic messenger. And it's weird because as you look at them, they like play out these little roles, right? Uh, Aurora is like the purest kid, the most innocent, wonderful little kid you've ever seen. She is a bright light. Reese is this enthusiastic, wide-eyed, incredible, laughy, giggly little one who likes to tell. Um, (laughs) Ewan Ewan is, he loves God so much and he likes to argue. (laughs) So their names kind of play out. And then my name, of course, my name is Brent. And so my name means from the hill. (laughs) It's very disappointing, everybody. Uh, My whole life, I don't even know what to do with that. I have no idea what that means, so... From the hills, from the sticks. I do have roots in Arkansas, so I don't know. Um, but, but names are really interesting. And Nehemiah, even Nehemiah's name, as you look through it, the name Nehemiah, it's derived from the Hebrew word nechem. Nechem? Nechem, nechem, yeah. It's good, try it. Nechem. Yeah, get a little more, because it's just because it's fun. Nechem. Yeah, gesundheit, it's good. Um, but is that, that means to breathe strongly, to console, to pity, in the active interest of another. And in addition to that, uh, Nehemiah also comes from the Hebrew word Yah. Go ahead, Yah. Yah. Not y'all, Yah. Yah, of course, that means the sacred name of the Lord. And so when you put it together, Nechem Yah, go ahead, Nechem Yah. Yah. You're so good. Uh, That means the consoling breath or spirit of God. So even in the name, even in this guy that God is working through, we're getting a clear picture of what God wants to do. So one of the things that's really interesting about this book is how God takes this situation and he takes this man and he puts them together to show how the spirit of God works in all of our lives. And this is really important, everybody. It's really important because it's not you or me that does the work. It's not you or me that does the rebuilding. It's not you or me that does the restoration. It is the spirit of the living God working through us. We can't transform people. We can't change people. I'm sorry, ladies, you've tried so often with that man that you're married to, but you can't do it. 
Oh, that, that did not go over well. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> yeah. It's the spirit of God that transforms people's lives. He is the one to do it and we can trust him. So Nehemiah is an incredible picture of the Holy Spirit. But as soon as you start talking about the Holy Spirit, people get nervous. People start to get anxious. Whoa, oh, great, we're doing that today. I thought I should have stayed home and done Super Bowl preparations because I didn't know this was coming. And people get nervous because you say the words, the Holy Spirit. Instantly, it's like, ooh, right? The Holy Spirit, okay, so he's a spirit. He's just not the scary ones. He's a holy one. And then if you read the King James Version, it gets even worse because he's the Holy Ghost, right? Way scarier. And if you have some background like I do in the Pentecostal world, and you might call him the Holy Ghost, right? You don't even have to finish it. You just, you just kind of grunt into the end, the Holy Ghost. And it's, it's very spiritual and powerful, right? But but as soon as you start talking, people want to, they kind of want to disconnect. And I, I think that, I think we shouldn't be so concerned about this in a lot of ways, right? Not get too hung up. I mean, it happens all the time in our city. People will say, oh yeah, yeah, listen, I'm not religious, but I am deeply spiritual. Have you heard that? Over and over and over again, right? And it, 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 just a quick look through the internet about our fair city. You'll find so many examples. And we were looking this week and found uh, someone that offers, I think it's uh, Reiki healing sessions where they work through your angels and spirit guides to help you receive healing and restoration. You can find the Austin Metaphysical and Holistic Life Expo, everything from the chiropractic to the clairvoyant. I think that's on a business card somewhere. Where East meets West to create a spirit-centered environment for both attendees and professional psychics, readers, astrologers, holistic practitioners, and alternative health professionals and vendors. Popular metaphysical and holistic disciplines including astrology, tarot, palmistry, theta healing, stone reading, access bars, rune, energy healing, and my favorite, aura photography, and much more. You can find the entity doctor who clears your spirits from you and your clients so you don't have to. I'm not making this up, right? And, and my, my goal, my aim in saying that is not to poke fun or, or to push on that at all. My point is simply to say that the people in our city and everyone around, we all have some kind of idea of spirituality. The issue is, is that we just get invested with the wrong spirits. <laughs> we just invite the wrong ones in. But Orthodox Christianity has always embraced that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, right? The Trinity, it's a theological idea. We don't actually see the concept specifically in scripture, but as you read through it, you can see how the inner workings of the relationships of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they all work together, and they are one person. And so we get the other two members of the Trinity. That makes sense to us. The Father, yeah, he's amazing. He's the one, he's the creator, the sustainer of all things. He's the one who puts everything together all throughout the universe. That guy makes sense to me. Jesus, yeah, I get him too. He's great, son of God, savior, Lord of all, high priest. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Yep, I get him, I like him. But the Holy Spirit is what? He's the, like the third wheel of the Trinity. He's like the errand boy of Jesus and the father. He's like the bronze medalist of the, of the Trinity. He's like, he's like the crazy uncle that floats around out there. No, no, he's none of those things. The Holy Spirit is God. He is God. And, and it gets even better because he is a person. He has a personality, which means, everybody, this is so great, that you can relate to him and he can relate with you. And some of you won't believe me. Most of you probably will, but some of you won't believe me. But he's not a weirdo. He's not. He's not a weirdo. You know who's weird? People. 
people are weird. They interact with the Holy Spirit. Things get weird. People get weird. People do weird things. The Holy Spirit is not weird. He's a person. He's God. He loves you and he wants to work in you. From the beginning of the scriptures, uh, the Holy Spirit has been active in creation history. Right? You can see it in Genesis 1, 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came on people to do crazy, amazing exploits. So from Moses to David to Samson to Daniel, all of the prophets, the Holy Spirit would come on them and do amazing things. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit continues to work in our lives, except in a much more personal way. So here's what we want to get this morning, that the Holy Spirit is God's presence active on the earth, right? Just simply put, the Holy Spirit is God's presence that's active here on the earth. That's why one of the guiding values of our church is presence. It's presence, relationship, mission. And, and what we're saying is for every believer, every one of us, God is present and active among us. That he's with us, he's dwelling inside, he's everywhere, all the time, working, he's guiding and directing and whispering to us and counseling us and moving us and warning us and transforming us. So that sense of God's spirit that you get, that, that's the Holy Spirit. When he's near, the, the experience when, when we're all worshiping together in here and you're thinking, oh man, there's just something happening, this is powerful, that's the Holy Spirit. There's other times too, that, that little nudge when, when you're thinking, I should call, I should call that person. Or I need to send them a quick text of encouragement. That oftentimes is the Holy Spirit just nudging on you, getting you to move, working in you. The little voice that speaks to you to go this way or that way, to warn you of um, something or conv to convict you of, of some kind of sin going on in your life and helping you to stop. That's the Holy Spirit. When you open up the scriptures and you're reading through and that verse, you ever had this experience? That verse just jumps out and it smacks you across the face. You're like, oh man, that's for me. That's the Holy Spirit. Not scary, not weird, just speaking, just working. You've had that experience. And Jesus is the, is the one who sent him to us. So several verses here, Acts 2, 33. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. It's a wonderful gift for us to receive. And this is what Jesus himself said to the disciples before he left the earth in John 16, verse seven. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that if I go away, for I, for that I go away, for I, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. How crazy it is to say, it's better if I leave. And all the disciples are thinking, no, that can't be. But it is because he can come and live in us and live with us and guide us. Later on in the same chapter, in fact, John records Jesus saying, uh, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he received from me. All that belongs to the father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So the Holy Spirit does only what Jesus says, always brings our attention back to the work of Jesus. And the Father himself is the source of it all. The Holy Spirit is a wonderful person, everybody. So right here you see the, the relationship of the Trinity in action. So, so now let's just take a look at Nehemiah and see how the Holy Spirit works and how he works in us. So if you've got your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter two, Nehemiah chapter two, verse 11. I'm gonna read a little chunk here, so hang with me. It says, so I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put on my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding. 
After dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, or serpent's well, and over to the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burn gates. Then I went to the fountain, uh, the fountain gate and the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So, though it was still dark, I went up to the Kidron Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. The city officials did not know that I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not said to them, uh, I had not, yeah, sorry, I had not yet spoken to Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. I think there are three characteristics of the Holy Spirit that we can see through this passage. And the first one happens right away. The first one is, is that the Holy Spirit is working while we're waiting. The Holy Spirit is working while we're waiting. You'll see it in verse 11. Nehemiah says that he came to the city and then he just waited for three days. I came to the city and three days later, all of the plans start. After months of planning and preparation and conversation and all the things that Nehemiah had to do, he arrived in Jerusalem and he sat for three days. No fanfare, no big celebration, no announcement of what he intended to do. He just showed up and waited. How often have you wondered why God doesn't do things more quickly in your life? Why does he do things quicker? I mean, I think for every one of us, patience is a big deal. And it's really difficult. When we're waiting on God to provide some kind of answer. It's so challenging for us. We want things to change and we want them to do that right now. We live in an instant society. I have pretty much anything I could ever want at my fingertips. I can Google anything I want to know immediately. I could pull out my phone right now and I could set it down and I could watch a movie while I'm talking to you. I can do all of these things. If I've got, what's it called? Amazon Now, I think. I can order anything and have it delivered to me in one hour. It's a really awesome thing. We should try it right now just because it would be fun. Right, we can do, and, and then and if you text somebody, if you text someone, you expect a reply immediately, don't you? And if they don't reply immediately, like, what, what's, why do they hate me? What's wrong with them? What did I do? I have no idea what happened. Well, they're in the restroom. But we just, but we just get, yeah, actually, if they're, I can't continue with that line. So they would answer right away, right? Like, oh, never mind. Uh, so we want things to change and we want them to happen right now. In fact, yesterday would be good. But as you read through the scripture, you find that Abraham, he had to wait for the son of promise, Isaac. And he waited a good amount of time. Joseph had to wait to see his dreams fulfilled. Moses had to wait in the desert for the deliverance of his people. David had to wait for years to be crowned king after he'd been anointed by Samuel. They had to wait. You find this verse in Romans 5, verse 3. It says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. <laughs> we don't like that. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. I've seen this play out over the years. People don't necessarily buy into this because over the years as a pastor, people will say to me, they'll say, you know, um, since I've 
since I've given my life to God, I, I do feel a little bit different. But, but it doesn't seem like much else has changed in my life. It seems like most things are pretty much the same. They go on to express that they're, they're concerned that like, you know, uh, it's been two weeks, a month, a couple months, and I'm just not seeing all the stuff that everybody else says is happening in their lives. Everywhere that I hear people say, it's like, oh, God's doing this and God's doing that. And it just is not happening in me. I don't see it. Well, as you read through the book of Acts, those things, a book that we'll just read in a setting. We'll just sit down and you can just read through it. But those events happened over years and years and years in different cities and different countries. I mean, it played out on a much grander scale than you and I read. People tend to report things that have happened to them quite a bit shorter than the way it actually happened. So don't feel like you're a second-class Christian, right? If things are not happening the way that you feel like they should happen, it doesn't mean that you're second class. It doesn't mean that you don't measure up. It doesn't mean that you're not good enough. In fact, I want you to, to remember just a couple things today that maybe might help you. If that's you this morning, I want you to think about this. People's testimonies, although probably honest, they, they're usually abbreviated, Right? That's the way it works. They're abbreviated, they're concise, they're condensed. What may have taken place over years for that person, you hear as, I was having a horrible situation and I got delivered, praise Jesus. You didn't hear about the 15 years of pain and struggle that they walked through. So don't count yourself a second class. And remember the second thing too, that God's never in a hurry. I'm sorry, but he's not. God's not in a hurry. And he doesn't have to be because he knows the right time every time. He doesn't have to rush like we do. Oh, I didn't get that done. Oh, Bill, I totally forgot about Bill. I got to run and help Bill really quick. That doesn't happen to God. He's got you in the palm of his hand. He knows the timeline. He's going to watch for you. He's never in a hurry. And the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, time is always our friend. The scriptures give us an illustration of seeds being planted and growing and bearing fruit. That's how it works. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The thing about fruit is it doesn't grow quick. It's always a slow process. Slow food is always better than fast food. Oh, I don't know if that's true, but yeah, it's true, it's true. (laughs) Slow food is always better for you than fast food. There it is. Fast food is always better. (laughs) Kind of works against my point this morning. Um, You know, there's a slow food movement, right? That's committed to local resources and committed to community. And so it's it's a massive movement. You can look it up, but fast food and fast growing fruit that's injected with all kinds of crazy growing chemicals, that is not healthy for us. And the same is true with spiritual fruit. I've heard a wise man say that slow change is lasting change. Slow change is lasting change. And so if things aren't happening fast for you, the way that you think they should, the way that you want them to, just realize, please, that it's normal. And actually, it's good. It's actually good because the change that will result will be real and better. But if we don't understand this, we don't understand how God works, it's gonna cause us to feel like we're unworthy or feel condemned. And the voice of the enemy will come in and start chiming in your mind and say, oh, God doesn't love you. God's not working for you. He doesn't care about you. Don't you see that nothing's happening? And if you listen to those lies, everybody, it will take you out. But if you can just trust that God is working behind the scenes, you can do this. Second thing from Nehemiah in this passage, I think that we can learn is that, that he is working, the Holy Spirit is working even in the darkness. He's working in the darkness. In verses 12 through 15, you see it. He says, I slipped out during the night 
taking only a few others with me. I hadn't told anyone about the plans that God put on my heart for Jerusalem. Nehemiah wasn't ready to announce it. He wasn't ready to tell about his plan or his purpose for being there. So under darkness, he takes a small group and goes out to investigate the walls and the gates. And so as everybody in the city slept, unaware that all of the help that they'd been longing for had finally come, the lifelong embarrassment that they had suffered, it would shortly be overcome. Nehemiah went about his task, dedicated to their interests, working on what needed to happen for them. Everybody, God is always awake and alert. He's always awake and alert and he's tending to our knees. Psalm 3, 5 says, I lay down and slept. I woke up in safety for the Lord was watching over me. Even while we're sleeping, God's restorative process for our lives is being sustained. All through the night, just like your heart continues to beat while you sleep, his heartbeat for you and concern for you and for your life is beating and he's working. He doesn't sleep, he doesn't slumber, he doesn't give up, he doesn't stop, he's working for you. Psalm 139 is an incredible passage, probably one of my favorites. And it says, I can, in verse seven, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. Check that out. Darkness has no impact on the ability of the Holy Spirit to work. In fact, there are tons of illustrations all through the scripture where victory actually comes out of the darkness. Here's just a few. Genesis 1, creation's light bursts into the darkness of chaos. Genesis 32, Jacob wrestles all night and gains his new identity. Exodus 12, Israel's Passover deliverance. It takes place in the night. Luke 23, Jesus' cross was immersed in a sky of darkness, even though it was midday. And we know how that one turned out. He rose again. In 1 Thess Thessalonians, Jesus will come again as a thief in the night. So instead of allowing the darkness of the waiting period that you're in, turn into this cloud, the shadow of doubt. Instead of letting a cloud of questioning deceive you into believing that you're somehow the victim of God's apparent inactivity and he doesn't care. Instead, we need to remind ourselves that just because there are dark times, it does not mean that God has disappeared, but he's working. Even as you look through the, through the through the scriptures and you see from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament. There's a period in there that's 400 years. They call it 400, 400 years of silence. No major messages, prophets not working, nothing happened, no miracles, everything that they'd been seeing, that nothing is happening. 400 years of silence. Imagine what the people were thinking that were living during that time. They'd heard the stories, they'd seen things that have happened and now nothing is going on. But underneath it all, God was working. And his plan was still working. And the Savior was on the way. It was going to happen. And it did. In fact, Galatians, I think it is, Galatians 4.4 4 says, When the time had fully come, God sent his son. When the time had come, he wasn't worried. There was 400 years of silence, but he was working the whole time. Even when God is silent, he's up to something. Lastly, the third thing I think we learned from this is that um, the Holy Spirit is working through the mess. He's working through the mess. You see it because Nehemiah, he, gets, he saddles up his donkey and he goes to try to get through and there's too much rubble, too much going on and he can't pass. So he takes another route. He moves around another way. Have you ever felt like the rubble of your life was so thick, so much that you'll never be able to push through? 
I mean, it's ugly. You look out and you see all the stuff of your life and people's lives and your family's lives, and it just seems like it's insurmountable. There's too much rubble, too much damage, too much pain, and you look at it all, and you start to pick up a stone maybe, and I'm gonna try to put this back on, and it falls over again, and you just think, there's too much work. I can't do it. And I think I'm just gonna give up. Nehemiah wasn't worried about the rubble, and he didn't let it stop him. Just like the Holy Spirit, he just chose another way around. He chose another way around to survey what needed to be done. God is not limited to one way of renewing your life, rebuilding the brokenness, or restoring your soul. He has an infinite number of ways that he can work. And he can work through anybody. He has an infinite number of ways. Sometimes we, we block him. Sometimes we block him just by our own ignorance. Sometimes we put out a stop and a block on purpose because we're not sure what changes it's gonna require us to make. And so we put out, our hounds, put out our hands and say, stop. But either way, he has a multitude of ways to assess the damage and to start the process in us. That's what Philippians 1, 6 is about. That he who started the good work in you, he will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So look at what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2, verse nine. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit, for his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. The Holy Spirit helps us to see what's possible. He helps us to see what can happen in our lives when you think that nothing else can happen. And so the Holy Spirit, he acts like a light bulb. He acts like a light bulb in our lives, helping us to see. You never turn on a light just to look at the light. You don't do that. You turn on the light so that you can see what's happening, so that you can see the path ahead, so you can see the way to go. You can see what's around the room. You can see the book so you can read. You see the path so you can walk on it. This is the most incredible thing about the Holy Spirit. He illuminates what's in our hearts. He illuminates what's really happening. He illuminates what can really happen, and he shows us the way to work, and he lets us see what is truly possible. And this is what he wants to do in you and in me, and in our city, and Kyle, here in Austin, this is what he wants to do. So let's let him do it. We're gonna come to the Lord's table here and allow him to work in us. And as we come to the table, you know, it's, it's so incredible. You have the body, you have the body that's represented by the bread here, and you have the cup which symbolizes his blood shed for us. And in 1 Corinthians, there's a really cool passage that talks about how it is when we, when we receive these elements that it's a participation. It's participating with his life. It's participating with his body broken so we can be healed. It's participating with his blood that was shed for us. We get to be a part of it. We get to collaborate. We get to work together with him. This is what we're talking about today. We want the Holy Spirit to collaborate, to work, to move, to help, to stir, to renew, to rebuild, to restore. 
And so we're gonna trust him as we come to the table. I know this is difficult, right? I know, I know as you listen to me, you're thinking about all the difficult stuff. I know you're thinking about the rubble of your life. I know that you're thinking about the darkness that you've been sitting in. I know you're thinking about the time that you've been waiting for the miracle to happen and it's not here. I understand. I don't think the point of today is that God's an on-time God and he's gonna do it for you. That's not necessarily the point. The point of today is that the Holy Spirit, he's your friend, that he's with you, that he's walking through the darkness with you, that he actually does have a pathway forward. But what we have to do is listen. We have to surrender. We have to give over. We have to allow him to work. And what that requires is trust. It requires faith. It requires stopping our push away tactics to allow him to come in. And so I wanna ask you, would you do that today as you come to the Lord's table? Would you allow him to come in again? Would you open up your life to a greater experience of allowing the Holy Spirit to move in you? Would you somehow today just say, I don't know how, but I wanna trust you. You can do that as you come and receive and participate with what Jesus has already done. So on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and after giving thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take it, eat it, and as you do, remember me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And every time you drink it, remember me. Do that this morning. I'm gonna pray. And then you can just, we'll start here on each of the right sides and just go to your right and move around and receive the elements and then go back to your seat. If you don't wanna participate today and you're like, ah, I'm not there, this is not, I don't know. That's totally fine, don't worry about that. But would you please just walk through the line so that people don't have to awkwardly pass over you, right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. Father, we thank you that you sent your one and only son into the world. Jesus, we thank you that you died on the cross, suffered, you were buried and you rose again on the third day and you paid the price for all of us so we don't have to. And Holy Spirit, we're grateful that you came to be our counselor and comforter and advocate to work in us and with us. Today, God, we wanna receive the fullness of your work. So we love you in Jesus' name. All right, start here on the right sides and let's receive together.